As teachers, we are known for being a jack or Jill of all trades. That's Laura. And that's Tony. And in this podcast, we will introduce you to a master of one. A podcast that unpacks educational research so you can use it in your classroom today. Formerly a high school English teacher, Dr. Mark Wagner has served as an educational technology coordinator at the site, district and county levels. He is now CEO of EdTech Team, a global network of educational technologists providing professional development and school transformation services. EdTech team was named Google's Education Partner of the Year for 2018, and Dr. Wagner has been involved in leading the Google Certified Innovator Program since 2006. With a PhD in Educational Technology and a Master's Degree in Cross-Cultural Education, he is the author of More Now, A Message from the Future for the Educators of Today. Hey guys, thanks for listening. The audio on this track is a little bit up and down. We're still trying to figure out how to best record so that you guys can get the best audio quality. Bear with us, the content is great. Welcome, Mark. If you could summarize your thesis or study in 30 seconds, on your marks, get set, go. Sure, so from a foundation of constructivist learning theory, and also game-based learning theory. I conducted a Delphi study, uh, which is a poll of experts uh, about future uh, projections, uh, but a Delphi study of massively multiplayer online role-playing games, think World of Warcraft, uh, as constructivist learning environments. So looking not only at what's possible today, but what might be possible in the future. So how would this relate to being a teacher in a classroom today? Uh, looking at uh, constructivism in particular, I was going back to Bruner and Vygotsky and, uh, you know, looking forward, uh, I think we're, we're probably decades away still from what some of the experts project for this, this kind of uh, immersive uh, multiplayer simulation that would be valuable to schools. So, so it's, it's, we've come off this ramp of, of sort of uh, Web 2.0, and I feel like if there's adoption, but not necessarily meaningful use, and out ahead of us are things like, um, you know, educationally focused MMORPGs, and there's a lot you can do with existing commercial ones today, and things like uh, virtual reality and, and, and uh, you know, augmented reality and so forth. Um, but that, that's not necessarily where the rubber meets the road for most teachers today, right? So yeah. There's been geeky teachers doing stuff like what I've studied um, for a long time before I studied it, and certainly for the 11 years since. Um, but that's not necessarily where every teacher is today. Uh, yeah. There's certainly teachers that have more video game-like instructional software in their classroom, but that doesn't mean there's necessarily more teachers who are um, taking advantage of the benefits of repurposing excellent commercially available games in the classroom and, and using them in meaningful ways with their kids or engaging their kids around what they're already playing. Right. right. So there's, right. there's uh, in the same way that I think there's a lot of uh, room for growth in uh you know, teachers' use of tools that they already have access to, like Google Docs and Drive and mm. Classroom and so on. Uh, I think there's also a lot of room for growth for teachers who are not even the geeky teachers who are going to do 
uh, you know, actually use World of Warcraft in their class or create something custom out of, um, I don't know, Neverwinter Nights or something. But uh, there's there's a lot of teachers that could really benefit from engaging their kids around what games do they play and what uh, what skills are they learning from those games. And do you think that there's sort of been, you know, this, this sort of pushback, you know, with families and communities and schools going, I don't want my kids gaming, um, you know, with the explosion of Fortnite and things, that there's actually been sort of a change in the way that we view it um, with our young people? Yeah, it sort of uh, it sort of continues to be surprising. It's probably the best way to put it for me that um, people are always going to resist the thing that they they think their kids are wasting time on, right? right. <laughs> it could be Elvis Presley or it yeah, could, be, yeah. could be Fortnite. But, uh, you know, I think when kids are that engaged with a game, there's something going on there. Yeah. And engaging them around that uh, can, be, can be really productive in terms of building the relationship between the, the teacher and the kids, mm. but also in terms of unlocking what's happening there. You know, with, with the MMORPGs in particular, um, if, you, if you think of it from a constructivist learning standpoint, right, this, this is happening in context. Kids are taking on a role in a, in a, uh, in a, in a world or a context, right, in, in, a, in a situation, in a scenario. Uh, they have to work together to get anything meaningful done. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're having to exhibit skills that we find it difficult to teach in school. Like the kids are showing up on time, they're playing their role in the team, they're staying and seeing it through, they're being persistent. Um, you know, it's a lot of things that we would ordinarily uh, associate with, you know, a kid's first job, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you find these, I, uh, I, I, in my study, I like to share the, the anecdote, and I share it often now still too, that I, I talked to a guy who got an executive director position at Yahoo back in the day, uh, on the on the strength of his experience as a guild leader in EverQuest, so he ran a 250 person guild, and he understood conflict mediation and hiring and firing, and he ran their budget uh, and managed their resources, and uh, and that led to an actual real life HR job with, with Yahoo at an executive level. So it's, I think we don't, if we're just pushing back and saying, oh, Fortnite's a stupid waste of time and kids are blowing each other up, uh, which is certainly debatable. Uh, I think we maybe miss what's what's really going on there, what's engaging. And, and if you think about what makes a good video game, it's a lot of what we struggle to to put into practice in a good classroom, right? Like it should be challenging without being frustrating, right? In mm. the Gatsby zone of proximal development. Because if it's not challenging, uh, kids don't like the game, right? And if it's yeah. frustrating, obviously they, they give up and they don't keep playing and they don't like the game. Oh, you're 100% right. And I think, you know, like in what I do, working with schools and digital technologies, often the lessons that I do are around like building games and making games. And even if it's simple, like scratch or use, you know, using very simple, simple kind of programs, um, we do a huge amount of talking about well, what makes a good game and why do you play games? And it, yeah. it's, it's a great, like even unit to teach if, if, if it's a good way to put it, you know, it's a great yeah. investigation or inquiry to actually do with the kids and they, they are the ones that know, they play them. They they want to create something that people are going to enjoy. We talk about that sort of Goldilocks balance, like not too hard, not too easy. Um, yep. So what were some key pieces of literature that informed your study? But one of the things I picked up, I think it was uh, from Clark Aldrich's work uh, when I was doing my study, was that you don't, the teacher doesn't need any coding experience. Or, yeah. And, and kids don't need any skill with Scratch or whatever platform you're using. You can 
you can still have that design level experience of creating the game. You know, if you engage your kids around, how would you make a game about the, I don't know, the American Civil War or something? Yeah. Um, or what is it, the Great Emu Civil War or something? You, the, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I know it's a joke. But, um, but anyway, you ask them, like, oh, who would the players be? Uh, what, what would the win states be? What variables would there be? How would you keep score? And whatever the topic is, whether it's, I don't know, uh, mitosis or the Civil War, like how, how would the kids design the game around that? What would get out blank paper? What would the screen look like, right? Get out a spreadsheet, like how would the variables interact? And so now you don't, you don't even need to be, uh, you know, know how to use Unity <laughs> or, or uh, Python or whatever to create your own games. You can mm. actually go right into the design level thinking and, and, and really have some great discussions around it such a huge industry you know and um i think if we can teach kids the basics of it and getting them to think about you know user interface and design and you know i think there could be kids out there that that start a career in that area because it's only going to get bigger and bigger yeah for sure i have, I have a, a friend from high school who became a game tester out of high school and <laughs> went on to become a game designer and, and and with the timing of things he, he reached you know the upper levels of that field just by working his way up uh, now there's whole degrees you can get in yeah. various parts of game design and you're going to have graphic artists and you're going to have people who write the script and you're going to have voice actors. There's so many ways to be involved mm. with, with a, a big budget video game. Um, and then you have, you know, with today's sort of 99 cent and free, uh, you know, mobile games that, that, that small shops can do on a relative budget, kids could really be a big, you know, have the, the full picture if they've got and, and actually execute on it if they've got an idea for, for a game design. What would you suggest a teacher does to get started in this gamification realm? Teachers should begin by repurposing commercial off-the-shelf games in their What classes. would be an example? So, for example, there's a whole community of teachers uh, using um, uh, World of Warcraft for in actual World of Warcraft in their classes. What the game can teach is systems thinking and how um, you know, different variables interact in history and, and what the trade-offs are if you're spending your, your resources on defense rather than research and development. And so kids soon begin to learn more about how history works, right? And, and I think real world leadership skills in a sense that they're responsible for their digital population and so on, right? And, and, and SimCity and so many of the others, and there's mobile versions of a lot of the Sim games now that would be easy. Um, and those are great conversation starters too. So we use gamified type resources like Mathletics or Study Letter um, for students to practice their maths or reading. Are some games better in the classroom than others? But there, there does come a point too where it's, um, and, and years ago, Mark Prensky made this distinction. There's a big difference between sort of the, the, the Twitch games or the, the point-and-shoot games. Yeah. Uh, you, there, there is, I think, the concerns about desensitizing of violence and that sort of thing are, are legitimate. Um, and, and games where, like, you're just matching buttons, they're not yeah. going to have the same benefits as a lot of these other games. But you think, you think of games like Civilization or, like, any, you know, massively multiplayer game where kids are having to work together to, you know, accomplish long-term goals and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, these have, you know, much, much more value. And, and just seeing this happen with my kids and seeing them go from things like uh, codables or these cute little fuzzy guys trying to program their way back to their spaceship and, yeah. uh, and looking at things like um, Subnautica today is just this beautiful underwater simulation on an alien planet. And like, 
my kids get so engrossed in these games without ever, you know, they, they actually kind of poo-poo the kids that love Fortnite, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to poo-poo Fortnite, but the idea that you, you can be selective in what yeah. games you're choosing and choose ones that, that um, not only have more value that uh, we as adults might recognize, but also are still super engaging and motivating for the kids, right? So, like, um, the biggest game in education in New Zealand at the moment is Minecraft. Oh, yeah, um, that just keeps coming biggie. back. Yep. Yeah. And it's, um, it's amazingly valuable, right? It's, oh, it's incredible, and I think it's just a little bit of teachers just understanding and letting go a little, you know, that it's not, um, I guess, just time-wasting. But there's, there's always tinker time, you know, but I think if you can take the resources like Microsoft are making some incredible, you know, education resources around yeah. Minecraft and it's just take and go, you know, you can kind of just get on with it. Um, well, it's another game where you got kids um, designing, of course, like any, a lot of the value, not all the value, but a lot of the value of Legos is easy for yeah. educators to understand that that's happening in Minecraft. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the, the long-term planning and designing and trial and error and risk-taking and, you know, when Clark makes a TNT cannon to see what will happen, right? that, that sort of thing is, is interesting. But um, yeah, I think I think Minecraft is one of the, one of the most valuable games out there right now. That's also happens to be super powerful. And there's huge communities around, like not even just for Microsoft, but even the uh, sort of informal communities around Microsoft. I mean, uh, Minecraft mm. really blow my mind. So a lot of our teachers are quite time poor and don't necessarily have a lot of resources around this stuff. How can they really easily integrate this um, into the curriculum and into what maybe they're already doing? Uh, one of the biggest, most important things I found was teachers who were doing games in the classroom right were including elements of, of metacognition and reflection and having kids, for instance, blog about it afterwards. So that's, that's really the magic combination is whether you're playing the game in class or engaging kids around games that they play, having them reflect on it and write about it. And, and that, could, that could be happening on YouTube these days. Kids all want to be YouTubers and, and review games or mm. walkthroughs. And when you see what they're really doing in those walkthroughs, either what they're watching or what they're creating, if, if the kids are creating the walkthroughs themselves, it's really high-level stuff. And they have to take their audience into account and they have to, they have to be effective in, in providing instructions and providing in, instruction you know, from an educator point of view. Yeah. Um, you know, when I see kids doing their own walkthroughs, like they're having to think like a teacher mm, mm. To, to make it effective, right? Not only think like a player, yeah. uh, that sort of level, but they have to literally think like a teacher to make it make it work. And also, you know, I still find value in non-computerized, right? So, like starting that design process is like, well, let's make a board game, you know, and yep. if you don't have devices or you know you've got really younger students, like how do we design a game? That we can play in our classroom without devices or you know play in the field or whatever the you know whatever the game might be and um i think even then when you get kids thinking about even just writing the instructions like how do we play your game yep. <laughs> um yeah well, they, then you're the, the, the technical right? writing standards yeah the technical yeah. non-fiction writing standards and i think and and it you know games are always social whether it's sort of around a table and i'm a huge like uh, paper and pencil role-playing game fanatic myself and so are my kids they they've started the D&D club at school <laughs> but games are social around a table. Games are social around a single computer or a single console, right? You have four kids getting excited while one kid's got the controller. And yeah. they're all giving each other tips and looking things up online or whatever. Um, and, but I, I think it does take it to another level. As a, Speaking as an English teacher, 
uh, when kids have that that audience on the web too, whether it's writing format in a blog or the public speaking format mm-hmm. on you know, on a uh, on a YouTube video or something that's that well, suddenly you've got the kid concerned about you know if it's writing they're concerned about their spelling and grammar and all that in a way that they never would be for a grade. Uh, and if it's a video now they're concerned about you know their their speech patterns and their addictions and their and their addiction and their um, you know, entertainment value to the mm. viewer, right? Is it informative and entertaining? And these are really high level ways to engage your kids around stuff that they're going to be motivated to do. Right? So how did um, doing your PhD impact on your practice? And you were saying you were just um, starting up the EdTech team stuff when you finished it. How did that, how did what you found find impact on that? Yeah. Interestingly, I think despite the study being about uh, video games, the, the biggest impact was, was through my blog. So I had decided uh, around the same time, 2003 or four, uh, you know, I'd started blogging for work and I realized anything I was writing for school or work anyway, I might as well turn around and post it online. Uh, and so through my blog, I was posting final projects from my classes or like great discussions that I've had in, in the online classes. And as a, as the, as the study approached, I was, posting my, my data, I was posting portions of the dissertation as I finished it. I was awesome. posting about you know resources that I found. And what happened is because I was blogging that whole process, I was able to connect with you know, uh, other researchers that I was citing, started responding back to my posts, right? Uh, and, and I'd be like, oh my God, so-so read my post until <laughs> I figured out. They all just had vanity searches on Google Alerts. Right? <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and practitioners who were doing it, you know, I remember uh, connecting with a guy in, in New York City who was doing a lot of what I was writing about and being able to talk to him about his kids. And, uh, but he ended up participating in the study too. Um, and, and, and the opportunity then to go speak about this topic at conferences, including ISTE, uh, really opened a lot of doors. And I think going through a graduate level learning experience transparently on a blog Mm. And again, you can do that through YouTube or something else today. But going through that transparently on the web and being discoverable for other people in the field uh, opened far more doors than if I had just had a brick and mortar experience with yeah. my professors, right? Um, the, the opportunity to talk to the people that were doing the work and the people who were publishing the research completely changed the game compared to just going to one school just reflecting on my own experience doing the masters, like, you know, it was two and a half years of me and my computer and my supervisor. And, you know, it was just such a closed experience. And I live in a country that's super small. (laughs) All of the research and literature that I was drawing on, I could have bloody phoned those people, but you know, I didn't have the confidence to, or know that that was a thing. You know, it's this huge academic world that seems really foreign when you first kind of enter it, even though like I've been to university, it was this postgraduate educator world and it was, it was terrifying. You get that complete imposter syndrome. And it ended up that two people who I cited in my thesis marked my thesis. And I'm like, that's amazing. But also like, I wish I could have talked to them about it. So how do we set kids up to be really successful in these academic worlds, you know? High school kids should be using Google Scholar and yeah. and reaching out to the people that they're writing about. Like that should be happening. It will te- definitely become a thing because they like, do have teachers who are, you know, reaching out to authors of books they're reading and doing like, you know, yeah, mystery yeah, Skypes yeah. and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. 
you know so i think the confidence to just reach out and go for it will will increase in, in our students as they come through what we're designing at the moment so what is on the go for you at the moment what's happening for you personally or professionally coming up uh well it's a great question it's it's i think timely given uh the next call i got to jump to uh with a with a school superintendent but spending a lot more time with school superintendents and spending a lot more time on school transformation and the cultural change organizational change in the school um and the way i tell the story is whether you're uh, selling Chromebooks or iPads, or you're selling flexible furniture, uh, or you're providing professional development like we do. All of those things are really going to have a minimal impact. You know, this is where you get drive-by professional development, right? The one-day workshop and so on. Mm. All those things are going to have minimal impact unless they're really pointed at something bigger that they share in common, which is that cultural change of the school, changing practices, changing the way that people interact with each other, changing the way people interact with students. Um, and so even though, you know, traditionally we're an education technology company, the, the best way to make a meaningful difference and have a, a bigger impact in schools is to also be a school transformation company. Um, and so that's where we're spending a lot of our time. And by the way, if you're talking about video games and learning, you're going to have a minimal impact with a few geeky teachers unless you can change the culture of the school and change the way people are thinking about uh, engaging their kids around the games they're already playing, bringing games into the classroom, even if you're not the expert, and having kids uh, uh, reflect and write about or, or, or podcast about uh, the games that they're playing. And then you, you, when that sort of thing becomes acceptable and celebrated mm -hmm. uh, and supported when it fails, then, uh, then you've got a much more likely chance to involve kids uh, in, in awesome. those extremes. So what do you reckon? I thought it was really interesting. Obviously it's quite topical at the moment because um, kind of using video games and online resources is, is really topical. Um, I thought it was really interesting that obviously some games, you have to be quite careful about which games you're using maybe and some games are better than others. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I think for me, it's the dispositions that sit behind gaming that are important. Like. The game is just a vessel to do, um, you know, design thinking or interface designing or um, then actually playing them is about the interactions and the way that people work together to like create worlds and achieve goals. So for me, it's the bigger picture of what we're actually trying to teach our students both in creating games and then like when they're actually playing them. So if you enjoyed that, you can continue the conversation over at Master of One EDU on Twitter. Or catch us next time where we are interviewing Angela Cave about her research into primary mathematics. And we're always looking for awesome educators to share their research and join us. So if you're an awesome educator or you know someone, go to our website and nominate them to come on the show. Subscribe to have our latest episodes come straight to your inbox.